Okay, we are continuing our seven-week study on the model prayer. So far, we've looked at the object of our prayer, a prayer of praise, and today we're going to look at a prayer of surrender. A prayer of surrender. So let me give you the setting for our study today. And then we're going to turn to page 85 and look at that first question that we have. Jesus gave his disciples a model to guide them as they prayed. Using the model, he taught them to honor God's name as holy. Then he instructed them to surrender their lives to God. James also instructed Christians in the meaning of surrender. In his epistle, he addressed the need for believers to give their lives to God with humility. Also, he insisted God's people should give themselves to doing God's will as their first priority. With those thoughts in mind, let's look at our first question on page 85. What's the most entertaining selfie? You've seen or taken. Does anybody here take selfies? I don't. <laughs> so I guess we have no entertaining selfies that we have seen or heard of. My husband does all the time. Yeah, he's all over Facebook. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to often know how he gets all those pictures that he posts. It seems like he's all over the world. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He does find them from sources. He doesn't go everywhere. So he doesn't take all of them himself? No. Oh, okay. And those are really... There's some good pictures, though. I mean, there are really some good pictures. You know, the ones that you take with the four pictures together in various spots around the island. Pretty good pictures. Okay. Um, so nobody have an entertaining selfie that they've seen or taken. It's an interesting one right there. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, let's... Uh, what do you want it to be? <laughs> okay, let's look at Bible Meets Life. Someone go ahead and read it, please. <coughs> In the last few years, a new word has entered our vocabulary, selfie. The word refers to taking a picture of yourself with a cell phone, and the word fits our culture perfectly. We have become a selfie culture, catering to a self-centered life. We can experience positive benefits when we're self-reliant and independent, but that's quite different from being self-centered and narcissistic. Parents, parents know how strong-willed toddlers can be when demanding their own way, even when what they want may be the, the worst thing for them. Unfortunately, too many of us never grew out of that phase. Like toddlers, our selfie culture demands life on its own terms and tends to forget God's rule. The selfie life is the enemy of spiritual growth. As believers who want to develop a prayer life, we have to surrender our will to find God's will. We must reject the seeming appeal of a selfie life, and when we do, we gain so much more. All right. 
Selfie light. Can I just say that whenever I'm on the beach, which is when, when I'm walking the beach, the most frequent um, sight I see are young people sitting there, you know, on, and then out in the ocean with these phones. No kidding. Pictures in the water, <laughs> and then they're sitting on the beach just with their heads down, looking at them. That's that's really very common. Yeah, yeah when you go to the restaurant, everybody's got their heads down uh-huh. in their cell phone. What is it? I found interesting as well is though, uh, whenever something happens, uh, no matter what it is, the first thing people do is pick up their cell phones to yeah. take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, it could be a die emergency. Rather than picking up your phone to call 911, they pick up their phone to take a picture of what's happening. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy world we're living in. <laughs> what's the point of our study today? Approach prayer with humble submission to the will of God. Okay, approach prayer with a humble submission to the will of God which means we ought to always be seeking God's will uh, and desiring that our wills be done away with. Father, we pray, O Lord, that you would reveal areas of our lives that we have yet to surrender to you and give us the determined desire to do so. Thank you for desiring the best for us, O Heavenly Father, and helping us to find your best as we submit to you for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first uh, verse we have, Matthew 6.10. If we can have someone just read the verse, short verse. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Okay. Your kingdom come. Your will we live in a very selfish world and not many people are seeking God's will. I can tell you that. It's always me, myself, and I. So this is the prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom. What is your kingdom? It's the eternal community of God, isn't it? The eternal community in which God rules as king with absolutely complete authority over his people who have received his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom that he's talking about. So when we look at verse 10, we notice that honoring the Lord when we pray opens the door for surrendering to him. Jesus taught us to honor the Lord's name as holy when we pray. Uh, We saw that in in chapter 6 and verse 9. Then he taught us how to move from honor to surrender. The kingdom of God doesn't consist of castles and walls like the Queen of England does. His kingdom consists of relationships, not territories. It's a kingdom without borders composed everywhere of people who have given their lives to the Lord. In his eternal kingdom, he possesses complete authority. And he he exercises unending power. 
we know him as the Almighty God. When we invite Christ into our lives, we become citizens of his kingdom. Not many people live that way, but that is the case. Citizens of his kingdom. As citizens, as kingdom citizens, we reach out to others so that they can experience kingdom citizenship by God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's our mandate. You know, we are citizens of the kingdom and we reach out to others. You know, we want you to come and join our kingdom, become a part of our kingdom. Because uh, way ahead is not a very pleasant place. So in a way, the kingdom of God came to earth when the Messiah arrived in Bethlehem. But in another way, God's kingdom has not yet come completely. Jesus instructed his disciples to understand his kingdom would come when he returned. Therefore, his kingdom has already come in Christ, but it's not yet complete here. Between now and the day Jesus returns, kingdom citizens have been challenged to advance and promote the fulfillment of God's kingdom in the world. Kingdom citizens devoted to God allows his reach to be extended through them as they live according to his ways and reach others in his name. We make the fulfillment of his kingdom our priority when we pray. Thy kingdom come. We make it a priority. Jesus didn't stop at the request, the request for God's kingdom to come. He went on to address the priority of doing God's will. He directed us to live out the priority of his kingdom by submitting ourselves exclusively to God and doing nothing less than what God wants. We surrender ourselves to God when we pray so we can do his will. Jesus gave us a pattern to follow. We surrender to God so his will can be accomplished on earth just like it's done in heaven. God's will is always done in heaven. There's no rebellion in heaven. The mere idea of heaven strikes a chord of hope in our hearts. The closer we grow in our walk with the Lord, the more we look forward to being there. One of the most favorable features about heaven involves a lack of resistance to God's will there. Anybody who didn't get along isn't there anymore. We know that, right? Whatever God wants is done without a question or a delay. Sin doesn't exist there. <coughs> Rebellion against God can't be found there either. We can hardly begin to imagine the perfect joy of serving Him in such a splendid environment. But we're not in heaven yet. We live in a world in which sin slows us down and trips us up as we try to carry out the Lord's directives and that happens every single moment of every day. The devil doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. He's very vigilant. The Bible says he's vigilant. And if the Bible says he's vigilant, he's vigilant. Okay? So we do our best when we surrender to the to our, when we surrender our lives to God's will every time we pray. In doing so, we affirm that we want His will to be accomplished on earth through us in the same way that it's carried out in heaven. That's what we pray. Now, sometimes we pray that we don't realize that's what we pray. Lord, may Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, we are reluctant to, to, to say that sometimes because we really don't want God's will to be done. We want some stuff that we know God is not going to agree with. 
And so we really are not praying that uh, in, in honesty and sincerity, but that's the way it ought to be prayed. When we submit ourselves to doing God's will in prayer, his kingdom agenda will be accomplished through our lives. And that's what God wants, and that's what we should want too. God's kingdom agenda accomplished in our lives. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs that go along with that verse we read. Someone can read that, please. Jesus came representing a kingdom totally unlike the political powers, so to relate to us. Every aspect of our politics is scrutinized, all by us, to determine the popularity of our leaders and the percentage of constituents who deal with, who agree with specific policies. The God's kingdom doesn't operate by popularity polls. God is in running for office. He is the king. He is the king. Naturally then, in his morning prayer, Jesus calls us to focus on his kingdom and his will. In one sense, the kingdom of God and will of God summon everything that relates to work. Consider two aspects of work. One, those who lack power offer their prayers to one who has all power. It is an appeal to God who rules his kingdom. Two, prayers often appeal for God to make some kind of change. We want God to heal the sick. We want him to save the lost. We want God to hold the guilty accountable. We say we want him to forgive our own sins. In other words, we are constantly praying for him to change something. When we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, we are intentionally surrendering our desires and self-interest to the powerful kingdom of God and to his plans. It is impossible to pray deeply until we surrender to the Lordship of Christ and the rule of God. We struggle with letting go of our own will, don't we? When a friend of mine was a child, he went with his father to a store where he sported bright, brightly colored bicycle handled by a spring. He could easily imagine how cool he would look to the other kids in the neighborhood with those long, bright streamers flowing from the handlebars The only obstacle was his father. Then my friend tried to convince his dad how necessary those cool new streamers were. His father was having none of it. The answer was a resounding no. <laughs> That's when things got ugly. My friend began to cry loudly and created an embarrassing scene in the local store where his family often shopped. To drive, the drive home wasn't pleasant. My friend stumped 
and silence, worried about what he might, what he might face, and he got home. But when he arrived, his dad opened the trunk and pulled out a brand new bag. My friend was stubbornly demanding handbag streamers for an old bicycle. Then his father had already planned to give him a brand new one. Mm. Oh, he always benefits when he surrenders our will to the will of our loving father. His will surpasses ours in every day. God knows what we need, and he knows what is best. <laughs> I wonder if anybody ever had that experience. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you might have wanted the streamers for the new bike though. Mm. <laughs> Probably a new bike came with streamers. That's <laughs> true. Sure, sure. sure. My name is Brother Ronnie. Had the, had the silver clips. He's put on a uh, fork mm. and the crossbar. Well, let's look at some two points, uh, two aspects to Fred um, and highlighted there. Uh, one is those who lack power offer their prayers to the one who has all power. It is an appeal to the God who rules his kingdom. And the second point is prayer is often a plea for God to make some kind of change. We want God to heal the sick. We want him to save the lost. We want God to hold guilty the accountable. We certainly want him to forgive our own sins. In other words, we are constantly praying to him to change something. And often when God makes a change, we don't identify or uh, recognize the change that God has made. And uh, we often, like the little boy, find ourselves sulky. Question number two. What obstacles can keep us from surrendering our will to God's will? <coughs> what obstacle, obstacles? What we want. So what we want. Selfishness. Okay. What we want. is always selfishness. <laughs> okay. We can't wait as well. We want to know. Hmm. Here's another question though. What would it look like? If God's will were done on earth as it is in heaven, what do you think it'll look like? Peace and calm. Peace and calm. No crime. No crime, okay. We always benefit when we surrender our will to the will of our loving Heavenly Father. Do you believe that? We always benefit. Why? Because his will surpasses ours in every way. God knows what we need, and he knows what is best. He sees the whole procession from beginning to end. We only see it as it passes by. God always knows best. So in the next verse, or verses, we'll see how we should humbly surrender to the Lordship of Christ. So let's look at... 6 verses 6 to 10. Verses 6 to 10. Anytime I, anytime I think of Lord Shepherd Jesus Christ, I remember Stephen Oldfield. No one can present that like, like Stephen Oldfield and Lord Shepherd. I remember, you know, when I first met when she saw strong and his Lordship. And when I heard Stephen Oldfield present that, 
I say, no one I would like them to present if they have the Bible church. I prayed that, you know, and it happened. And when I saw Stephen Alfred and Calvary Bible Church, I said, Oh my God, you answered my prayer. And then his wife was sitting near me, and I was saying, I always pray for this, I always pray for this. So your prayer was and answered? And even in a yeah. Wednesday morning service, and I said, Oh Lord, I was so excited. Answered prayer. Yeah. And then it was ready preached at the seminar, it was only two ladies, it was me and Ruby, knowledge, we was there. Man was there, but we were only two ladies to take the course. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, let's look at uh, James 4, 60 to 10. Someone read that, please. But he gives years of grace. Therefore he says, God resists the power that gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. You that the mind. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to him. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will charge it. Okay, so one of the things this verse does is it, it reminds us of the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. <clears throat> he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James affirmed the need for disciples to surrender to the Lordship of Christ with humility. When we examine his instructions in James 6, 4, 6 to 10, we gain a stronger grasp of what it means to surrender to the Lord. James urged followers of Christ to surrender to God so that his kingdom can come through their lives. And that's the only way it's going to happen. God is not going to allow his kingdom to come in lives that are disobedient <coughs> and rebellious. Granted, surrendering to God and following through with obedience each day can become a very daunting task. At times, living out our surrender to God can appear to be nothing less than it's virtually impossible. We address the struggle by turning to the Lord with humility. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, we can count on Him to be gracious to us and to give us what we need so that we can serve Him effectively. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll do what? He'll take off. <laughs> The Lord wants us to, he wants to help us so his kingdom can be advanced through us. And that's the only way it's going to be advanced, if God helps us. Therefore, we don't need to resist God on what he's trying to do in and through us. He's waiting for us to turn to him and seek his grace so his kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. Instead of resisting the grace of God, James taught us that we should resist the manipulation of the devil. 
because he's always manipulating us in some way or another. He is the predator who is behind every attempt to make us throw up our hands and quit serving the Lord. He's the one behind it. He's also the one responsible for the lies that would deceive us into turning our backs on the Lord whenever God wants us to do something that we don't feel that we are capable of doing. Whereas he says, draw near to God and he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. But he says something else there. He says what? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, your hearts, you double-minded. The certainty of God's grace urges us to nourish a close relationship with him. Because we need his grace in our lives, we are wise when we draw closer to him. According to James, coming closer to the Lord involves our hands and our hearts. Our sins leave us with filthy hands, don't they? If we want to grasp, if we want the gap between us and God to close, we must get honest about our sins. In other words, we wash our hands clean. We also require to examine our hearts. Surrendering to God means ridding our hearts of a desire to build our own kingdoms. Then we can turn our hearts toward the coming kingdom or the coming of his kingdom on earth. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep in verse 9. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, sin ain't something to rejoice about. It's not something to laugh and joke about. It's something to mourn and grieve about. If we take our sin seriously, we begin to see it's a painful matter. For who? Who's it a painful matter for? It's a painful matter for the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So it's a painful matter for God. Our sin makes us feel dreadfully ashamed of ourselves at times when we reflect on what we have done. We want the ground to open up and swallow us. In turn, we are seized by a deep sense of agony over the way we have broken God's heart. Our agony gives way to sorrow that's exhibited in the tears of remorse we shared when we come before God to confess our sin. That's not a good, pleasant experience, is it? When we have to come before God and confess. He says in verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will do what? Exalt you. He will exalt you. He is the one who's going to lift you up. James turned our attention to humility once more. We approach the Lord with humility, submission, with humble submission, when we acknowledge that we want his kingdom to come on earth. When humility moves us to fall on our faces before God, he responds by picking us up and putting us back on our feet. Only God can do that. God exalts us so that we can be effective in our work involved in the coming of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God makes that possible. Look at the, the paragraphs. Let's look at the paragraphs that accompany the verses we read. If someone can read those, please. Jesus taught us to pray this God's kingdom of most in, in mind. Yet he cannot focus on God's kingdom when we are focused on our own kingdom. We must surrender to God as king, as Lord. And that calls for humility. When we humble ourselves under his lordship, we keep our prayers in alignment with the larger purpose of God. Pride has no place in our prayers. In fact, 
surrendering to God. What are the benefits? A satisfying life. Satisfying life, okay. Joy and peace. Peace, okay. Joy. Peace. Nothing to be remorseful about, right? Notice the points uh, that were mentioned in that uh, paragraph, that passage. Uh, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, and confess. Need to keep those in mind. The next verse shows us how we can humbly surrender our plans to God's plans. So let's look at those verses, verses 13 to 17 of James 4. You can read the passage and then go on and read the paragraph beneath it. Anybody? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. 
Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. So, so it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. As we pray for God's kingdom to come, we also are to pray for his will to be done. We focus on his will, his plans, not our, not our own. I heard long ago, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Hmm. Obviously, what doesn't, obviously, that doesn't mean God wants to crush our hopes and dreams. But his plans are always better for us. God knows the future. Unfortunately, we often forget that simple truth. This reality affects our prayer life. When we pray, we need to keep a light grip on our plans for the future because not a second of it is promised to us. Even so, James was not calling us to live in faithless uncertainty, but rather to pray and plan with faithful humility. Confident self-assurance is never the key to answered prayers. Our confidence needs to rest in God and his will. God will not refuse the prayer for his kingdom to override our self-interest. When we pray for his will to be accomplished, we can expect his blessing. Just as we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are to pray for God's will to be done. Nothing less, nothing else. We surrender our lives and our plans to Christ. This goes back to drawing near to God. If we feel far away from God's purpose, we must seek him with all of our heart. This does not mean we request that he support and endorse our goals, nor do we petition God for our overview of his plans. We discover his plans only after we have aligned with his heart. Okay. Notice, um, as we pray for God's kingdom to come, we also pray for his will to be done. We focus on his will, his plans, not our own. But we live in a selfish world and more than likely we are sometimes influenced by the ways of the world, by the culture of the world, and we ended up giving God our plans and expecting God to endorse our plans. But we are asking for a focus on his will, his plans, not our own. His plans are always better for us. Why? Because God knows the future. We don't. Unfortunately, we often forget that simple truth. And we often forget it a lot. Just as we pray for God's kingdom to come, we have to pray for God's will to be done. Nothing less and nothing else. We surrender our lives and our plans to Christ. We discover his plans only after we have aligned with his heart. Okay, question number four. How does an awareness of the brevity of life help us live surrendered lives? How does the awareness of how short life is? I'm sorry, I was trying not to interrupt you. Hmm. Uh, This is the um, only culture in which I have lived in country in my life where people seem to be conscious 
completely aware of the brevity of life and the gift of breath of life. <clears throat> and I say that because um, from every walk of life, I hear people throughout every week say, thank God for life. Mm -hmm. And things like, God woke me up, thank the Lord. Um, if the Lord so wills, when we say, this is the plan for, you know, next week, the, I hear often, Lord willing, <laughs> if the Lord so wills. And I really appreciate that because that has been brought to my mind more living here. <laughs> and so I don't know how, what, if you all have lived in other areas of the world, but because of my experience in North America, um, I don't, I never heard that. Yeah. And I thank the Lord for that reminder almost daily from people around me mm -hmm. that we don't know what life will hold and how long my life will be. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Interesting. <laughs> in that market, a lot of tourists say they have never seen so Christ is so represented in the mountains. Really, they, uh, they like that. And a lot of times we have prayer time in the market, like two times a week on Monday and Thursday. And people, you know, they, but then, they're Jesus conscious, but what about the life that was going on? You know? It's really amazing. We are all sinners, and that shows up, but on the other hand, it is nice that God is acknowledged openly and publicly all the time. Yes, yes. We don't want to see ourselves in it. We don't want to see ourselves in it. I think you are going to close it. You don't want to see ourselves in your video. Oh, but sure. Well, everybody got to see this sometime. You know, I see yourself in the Oh, I like how in the park, in this uh, passage, it says to keep a light grip on your own plants. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's true, we, tell, we have a tight grip yeah. on what we want. Yeah. So, you know, we hope it all lines up with God's will, but mm -hmm. <laughs> we keep it quite a tight grip on what we want. We need to definitely have a light grip yeah. on what we put our plants are and let the Lord's plants mm -hmm. supersede that. <laughs> Question number five. How can we help each other surrender our plans to God's plans? By the way we live. Mm -hmm. okay. By the way we live. If you are, you know, a person, if you were there, a person, you were going to, you know, like, they'd be embarrassed to be, you know, I think by our life. Lifestyle? Yeah. Okay. I think also in a um, tandem with what Sister Friend is saying, to respond with measured words and thoughts when someone says, this is what has happened. And you know, it's in our earthly perspective, maybe a, quite a negative thing that no one would desire. And instead of saying, oh, I'll pray that God, blah, blah. You know, that's really a form of superseding our will upon God. and. You know, the more we read the word and know the word, we know how to respond in a biblically sound way to each other when we're going to pray in response to someone bringing a dilemma or a problem or a sadness to you. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, automatically thinking, we need to pray that he's going to 
you know, yeah. get well yesterday. The thought ought to be praying that God's will will be accomplished in whatever the situation is. But even when God, when Jesus prayed to his Father, he said, Thy will be done. Mm-hmm. So that's how we pray to him, he prayed to his Father too. And I think sometimes people come to you and they're disappointed that certain things didn't happen a certain way, but yeah. a couple of years later when they look down the line, they'll see, well, hey, oh my God, this happened, this turned out much better than I expected. <laughs> because they, they were thinking that God was supposed to do it a certain way, and then later on they see that, hey, I never even thought it could be done like this. It's, such, <laughs> it's so much better than I even imagined. <laughs> so, you know, maybe you could encourage people too that, hey, listen, it ain't working out the way you want, but, you know, maybe, well, of course, it's going to be better than what you expect it to be. It's going to be done the way it's supposed to be. That's right. Okay, so the point of today is what? Our prayers are driven by the desire to honor God, right? Okay, let's look at uh, how we can flesh this out. Page 92. How will the truths of this passage affect your prayer life? Choose one of the following applications. Evaluate. Evaluate the things you pray for. Consider if you are more focused on what you want or what God wants. Surrender. Ask God to reveal areas of your life that you have not surrendered to Him and fast. One day a week, add fasting to your prayer life to help you focus on God and break the power of self. Three options there. Evaluate, surrender, fast. One, two, all three. The prayer mm-hmm. to be honest when you read the word of God, it says some things come by fasting. Mm-hmm. Long praying. So we just fasting. You don't hear people talk much about that. No. But we need really to yeah. fast. Yeah. If you have a serious issue that you really want to hear from God on, show them how serious you are by fasting. Mm-hmm. Depriving yourself of something in order that you would hear from God. And show God how serious you are. Fasting. As believers, we must surrender our will to God's will. Unlike the empty promise of a selfie life, Putting God's kingdom and his will first will lead us to spiritual maturity. Amen? Any closing thoughts or observations before we close in prayer? When we were talking about humbling ourselves, we were told that in James uh, 4, 6 to 10 passage, I thought of Peter who denied Christ three times and he was I don't know how to describe how he felt that, yeah, that yeah, realizing. Yeah. But God lifted him up after that. Mm-hmm. That's right. 